So let me, let me read our uh, reading this morning. We're still in the Beatitudes. And um, so let me just read again from Matthew 5. Now, that's funny. We were joking in the back room. Really, we should be getting you guys to read it back to us because you've heard this that many times, uh, Matthew 5, um, 1, to t- 1 to 11. But we'll not do that this morning. Maybe John can try it next week. But let me read it again, just those verses um, in Matthew Matthew 5, verse 1, Seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's just pray um, before we look at our next Beatitude. God, we we need you as we stand here. We need you. um, We need your Holy Spirit to show us and reveal to us those things in your word that are naturally and humanly hidden from our eyes and our understanding. And so we're praying, Holy Spirit, that you will do that. Will you help us to hear, most of all, hear your voice this morning? I pray that you will help us to understand what it is that you're saying to us as individuals and collectively as a church this morning. God, I pray that Um, the same for those in our kids' spaces. I pray that our kids will hear your voice this morning and they will understand your word this morning. God, I pray for um, other believers who are gathered like us right throughout the world. I pray that the same Holy Spirit will move in power as they are gathered as well. God, we thank you that you um, are omnipresent God, we thank you that you're a God who is sovereignly in control of all things at all times. We thank you that you're a good God. God, I pray for those people and those those countries where there's war raging at the minute. God, I pray that you'll help your people to know that you are a sovereign God in control of all things at all times. God, I pray that you will lift their eyes to you today and that they will find joy and rest and peace and comfort in you today. So God, open our hearts now to your word. Make us attentive to your voice this morning. And I pray that you will speak to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
So I don't know about you, but we, we do this thing, don't we, where, um, do you know if you've seen like a, a character trait in someone? And we'll sort of say, um, we might say, oh, I don't know where he gets that from. We might say, don't know where he gets that from. If you know the mother and father, you'll think, well, I don't know where he gets that from. Because they're not like that anyway. Or maybe it's the po- more positive. You're like, you see a good character trait and you're like, oh, he's just like his dad. Just like the dad. He's just like the father, he's just like the mother. She's the same as that as well. And we kind of see this character trait. Usually we can, we can trace it back through maybe a family member or a, a parent or a grandparent or something like that. But we can trace this character trait. We bear the resemblance of maybe a parent or a grandparent. And that resemblance, when we look at it, it's a, it's a marker that we are related to them. Right, it's a marker, it's a telltale sign that we're related to them. Oh, well, you knew they were their son, you knew they were their daughter. My dad is one of the best people ever. He's great, and that's just trickled down through. <laughs> you know, and you can see, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, my dad must be, I well believe it, he must be great. He, he actually is great, but yeah, well, things got missed down the line. My brothers and sisters got the good stuff. Well, in, in today's Beatitude, again, we, we kind of see this. We see another marker, another marker of someone um, as, that, that distinguishes them as being part of the family of God. And this marker is the marker of being a peacemaker, being a peacemaker. Now, what it says here in verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So what it's not saying is that in order to, in order to become a son of God, then you need to be a peacemaker. So that's the wrong way around. That's not what these Beatitudes are saying. That's not what this Beatitude is saying. Really what it's saying, rather, is that when you're a peacemaker, then you will resemble your father. Then when you're a peacemaker, when you're seen as being a peacemaker, you'll be recognized as a son of God. You will be called the son of God, a son of God. Now, peace, obviously, this idea of peace is something that's battered about the world all over the world. You hear about peace talks and peace rallies and all of these things. Um, but peace obviously is something that did exist at the very start. So back in Eden, there was peace. There was shalom right at the start. There will be peace. There will be shalom at the end in the new world. But we live in this in-between part now. So in Eden, that peace was broken. So sin, Adam and Eve sin, broke that peace. First of all, vertically between them and God. So the peace was broken between them and God, and there was hostility then. And then it, that peace was then spread horizontally, and then there was hostility between humankind, between man. But peace is something that is deep at the heart of God. It's something that God is deeply, deeply interested in and is deeply important to him. Over in Ephesians 2, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And so opposed to peace is hostility. And God has stepped in, as we know, God has stepped in through Jesus to break down that hostility between us and God. So that vertical hostility, Jesus stepped in. He became our peace because we couldn't do anything about that hostility. But he's not just interested then in our peace with God. He's also interested in our peace horizontally with humans. He's interested in how we can produce peace amongst us. And so what he has done then, 
as we have already indicated today, he has given us this gift. He has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to come and to help us to be those people who are peacemakers through producing this fruit, this spiritual fruit within us. John 14 says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you do I give. And so he, Jesus, in leaving the Holy Spirit with us, Jesus is interested in peace, us being peacemakers. He gives us this peace, not as the world gives it. So the peace we're going to be talking about this morning is not the peace that, that you sort of see generally in the world. It's a different type of peace. It's a more powerful peace. But I understand that, and you'll understand this, that being a peacemaker is not easy. And so for many of you, maybe now, you're sitting in the midst of a conflict. Maybe it's within family. Maybe it's within friendships. Maybe it's at work. And maybe that conflict is deeply weighing heavily on you. Maybe it's deeply hurting to you. Maybe you felt really hurt in that, and maybe you feel hurt in that. Maybe it feels hopeless to you. Being a peacemaker and pursuing peace, and maybe even the thought for you of pursuing peace just seems like impossible, or maybe it seems to you as being unfair. Why should I pursue peace with that, seeing as what they have done to me? Maybe it even seems unfair. Wherever you're at this morning, and we've all been there, we have to look at this verse and see no matter where we are at in our thinking, God still commands us here to be peacemakers. And so what does this look like? What does it look like for us as believers to be a peacemaker, whatever our circumstances are? So what we're going to do is there's, I've sort of noted down there's four things that I'm, we're going to look at it that will define a peacemaker. And what is it that makes us a peacemaker? What does it look like to be a peacemaker? Here, here's the first one. Real peacemakers are not passive. So sometimes what we can do and what people can do is they can sort of say, oh, well, you know what? I'm, I'm just not getting involved in that. You're best just to say nothing and just step back from that and say nothing. Keep your head down and say nothing. How many times have we said that? And whilst that sometimes is maybe an appropriate response to say nothing, and we'll look at that a wee bit later on, this shouldn't be the overarching stance of the believer just to say nothing. Keep your head down. Don't get involved. It'll be fine. Being a peacemaker is not the same as just avoiding conflict. In fact, it's maybe even the opposite of that. Look what Psalm 34, 14 says. It says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now, that pursuing would indicate to me that if you want to be a peacekeeper or a peacemaker, then we have to actively pursue it. We have to actively run after it. It'll not just happen. And for you um, who have been involved in this and maybe come through a conflict, you'll know it as well as I do. It just doesn't happen. 
And so we can't be passive. We shouldn't just passively stay out of conflicts and just watch on as conflict unfolds, either in, in maybe directly with us or maybe others around us. Instead, the real peacemaker looks for opportunities to step into that and promote peace. So we can't be passive, right? So that's one thing it's not. The peacemaker here is not passive. Secondly, the peacemaker is not self-absorbed. So we live, and you'll know we live in a world that is so consumed with self, right? We've said this so many times, and John has mentioned this so many times in the front. It's so self-absorbed, don't we? We're so, we live in a real entitled world, don't we? I'm entitled to this. Somebody does something wrong against us, then suddenly what do we do? We jump into the defensive mode. Everybody jumps into the defensive. How can I defend myself? How can I show that I'm right and they're wrong? How can I show that I'm entitled to this? And suddenly they just, we just go into this entitlement mode. We had, um, I was sitting doing some more prep on this yesterday, and it was, it was just, you couldn't write it, sitting on the sofa. Um, Jane, I think I was doing some uh, prep for her um, Little Stone stuff today. And uh, two of our kids, well, not mention their names, um, although Jude's away at the weekend this weekend. So, and, and they came in. And uh, it was just brilliant. It was over something like they were literally cleaning the coop or the hen coop or something. Like, and uh, they, they came in and they were literally fighting over roles within that, cleaning the coop. And, um, and they come in and one come in, first of all, and you always know, you always know that it's going to be bad whenever one comes in, but you can, or, or somebody tries to rush in in front of them. Why are they doing that? Because they want to get their say in first, their side of the story in first. Right, but sure enough, one came in and uh, they were like giving it stacks as to what they did right and the other person did wrong. And then while she was still talking, um, then um, the other party they started talking over the top of them. No, but 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 that that's not. This is what happened. This is I'm. But she did this to me, so this is blah blah blah. And then while she was talking, the other person talked over the top again, and it was like, and then Jane Jane tried to speak into it, and then they were quiet. But then while she was speaking, then they both started talking over the top of her because, again, arguing their point. Right? They got, all they wanted to do in that moment was show how they were right and the other person was wrong. They, they, weren't, they weren't interested in the other person. They weren't interested in pursuing peace at all. They just wanted us as the parents to see how they were right and the other person was wrong. And even in that, as I just, I was sitting on the sofa just smiling, and uh, I wasn't being passive. I did get engaged in it then after, just in case, as a parent. But I was just smiling myself, thinking, this is, this, is a, this is a picture of humanity. And I, and I didn't look at them thinking, judgmentally thinking, oh, dear me, these, these wee girls, you know, getting caught up. I was just like, what I'm seeing in front of me is what naturally we're like as adults as well. So when conflict comes, what's the first thing we do? We get so absorbed in ourselves. We get so absorbed in what the other person has done wrong, and we don't think about what we have done wrong. Listen to, listen to this um, excerpt from a sermon that Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, preached on this. He says, The peacemaker is one who is not always looking at everything in terms of the effect it has on himself. Now, isn't that not the whole trouble with us by nature? We look at everything as it affects us. What is the reaction upon me? What is this going to mean to me? 
And the moment we think like that, there is of necessity war because everyone else is doing the same thing. That is the explanation of all the quarreling and discord. Everyone looks at it from the self-centered point of view. Is this fair for me? For the, when we become a believer, God says he gives us a new heart. So we looked at that the last time when we talked about being pure in heart. God gives us this new heart. And with that new heart comes new desires. And so for the believer, his thoughts now are not or should not be consumed with defending himself. Why? Well, why, why would he not be consumed with defending himself? Well, for every believer, they've come through this process. So as we go down through the Beatitudes, the believer now realizes that he is poor in spirit, that there's nothing good in and of himself at all. He has nothing good to bring to the table except his own sin. He's poor in spirit. He mourns his sin. He's mourning his sin and in meekness humbles himself before a holy God. His pursuit now is of righteousness, right, and not self. Because of the mercy and the grace which has been lavished on him, he now wants to extend that same mercy, that same mercy to overflow into others, the trait from the Father now overflowing into those horizontal relationships. And this is all because he has now been given this new heart within him, this new heart that has now been given that now, uh, instead of pursuing self, wants to pursue purity, wants to pursue righteousness. And so for the believer, for us as believers, we should have a whole new outlook on life now, a completely alien outlook than we did before. Because now suddenly the world is not all about us. The world is not all surround. Our world is not, shouldn't surround us. But now our whole aim in life is now focused on God. Our whole aim in life is now to glorify God. That's why they re we realize that's why we've been created. We've been created to reflect the glory of God, to bring glory to God. We're now children of God, and so now we should be reflecting that. And so our whole aim in life is now different. And so whenever we bring that into conflict, whenever conflict arises, the believer then should be doing all they can to bring about peace because when we be a peacemaker and that, when we pursue peace in those circumstances, what are we doing? We're reflecting what our Father is like. We're telling those around us, this is whose child I am now. Before I was a child of Satan, Right? So anything I did would have just replicated and mimicked him. But now we should be revealing, oh, but now I'm a child of God. Now I'm a son of God. And so, but do we? And I understand that as I say this, I haven't done this. Right? I haven't done this always. Why is that? Well, because there's still the two men in us, isn't there? There's still that old man that wants to sort of raise his head. There's still this war between the old man and the new man. And so naturally, there'll still be this thing and this inclination in us to defend ourselves. There'll still be this pull to try and surround, make our life surround us. There'll still be this pull to try and show how we should be entitled to this and we should be entitled to that. But then you've got this new man that says, no, well, actually, off yourself, you're not entitled to anything. If you want to see what you're entitled to, you're entitled to an eternity in hell. That's your entitlement. But Jesus stepped in, and now he has brought peace between you and God, not of anything you have done, but all because of what he has done. And so now our entitlement now goes out the window. 
And so the believer will now have a new outlook in life. He'll have a new, new goals in life. He'll have new aims in life. And so when conflict arises, what's our goal? What do we want out of that conflict? They pursue peace because they know how destructive and distracting conflict can be. And we pursue peace because we know the barrier that it can be to bringing people to Jesus. Believers, we need to war hard against this spirit of self-entitlement. And I can stand here and tell you from my own experience, because I know that naturally that's where my heart is wired. When something, some conflict happens, especially between us as believers, when some conflict happens, my natural tendency is to go into defensive mode. And my natural tendency is to try to, you know, rationale my thinking then. And my natural mode is to try and almost work out and define in my head what that person meant when they said that. They must have meant this. Therefore, they're wrong and I'm right. And now what I do, then what my natural tendency is to do is I need to talk to someone else. And I need to help them. I, I, I do what, what our girls did. I, I need to get in first. I need to talk to that person because if I don't talk first, then the other person will talk to them and then they'll get on their side. So I need to get in first. He, here's what's happened. Can you believe that? And this is what they did. It's, it's not, isn't that ridiculous? Like, I, like I'm right, right? Isn't that right? I'm, it's not I'm doing wrong, right? And we do this sort of self-entitlement thing. We need a war hard against us. With conflict comes hurt. And the pain may be intense. Like, I mean, intense for you. But we know that the pain for Jesus was the same. If we're disciples of Jesus, we're followers of Jesus, we want to mimic him. When Jesus was on this earth, conflict was always against him, all the time. And we see it intensified even on the cross. When he was on trial, it was painful for him. And yet, Jesus kept his eye on the main aim, the bigger goal. What was he here for? Jesus knew, I am here out of obedience to my Father. I'm here to do the will of my Father. I'm here to glorify my Father. And I'm here to bring peace between them and God. He knew he kept that at the forefront of his mind. Oh, if I was Jesus, how many times would I have just lashed out in self-entitlement? You have no right to say that about me. I was only trying to help you all the time. I brought people back to life. I've been healing like sick people. It's ridiculous that you're thinking that you're trying to kill me. Ridiculous. And yet... He says he went as a lamb to the slaughter. He opened not his mouth. And so Jesus kept his eye on the main goal. What is our main goal? What's your main goal in life? Because this will filter into every aspect of life. What's your main goal? And then filter that into conflict. What's your main goal? What do you want out of a conflict? What, what, 
what do you want the end result to be? Is it just to sort of vent and just so people will see it, you're right and they're wrong? Or is there, is there a picture bigger than that? So, oh, I so want God to be glorified in this. I, I actually really want peace in this because that, that, that's what God wants and so that's what I want. I want to be a peacemaker in this. Sometimes we need to um, say nothing as well, though, right? Which brings me to the next point. The peacemaker um, will have a fat lip. Now, I don't mean a fat lip because you're getting punched. Well, you know, that might happen. You may get punched. Who knows? Uh, maybe we'll look at that next week more when we're looking at you know, persecution. But I don't mean you'll have a fat lip. Now, I've had a fat lip, not being punched. But because um, uh, one time I was on holidays and I was on a trampoline, and uh, that was not good. I just thought trampolines are fun things. And we could do it. Never done it before, which is fine. And then I jumped, and uh, yeah, my head decided to go down while my knee was coming up. So there was a collision. And so I ended up with a fat lip because my, yeah, well, my tooth went through my lip. Anyway, that's a different story. I bit my lip really badly. And for believers... We'll have fat lips because we're constantly biting them. Or maybe you'll term it biting your tongue. So we've all know what this is like, don't we? And how hard it is to stop our words sometimes. But what does James tell us about that? James 1 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In those times whenever unity is under threat, we need to give the Holy Spirit a space. We need to give him space to guide our words in that moment rather than just drowning them out with our rash words. And I know it's so hard to do that. How hard is it to not say what inside you want to say? And it's so hard but it's so, so important. Our words, our words are like toothpaste, aren't they? You know, once they're out, you can't get them back in again. Once they're out, they're out. And the destruction that they can cause, doesn't James tell us later that our words, our tongues, like a, like a fire that can set a forest ablaze? In those times when, if we're wanting to be, if we want to be peacemakers as Jesus was a peacemaker, if we want to mimic our Father, the characteristic of our Father, then sometimes, and maybe a lot of the time, we'll have to bite our lip. Now, this does not mean that we bite our lip all the time or we're just being passive. It means when, that, when that, those feelings, that initial sort of almost feelings of anger raises up within us and frustration and entitlement, sometimes we just need to spite hard and say, no, I'm not going to say anything right now. I'm going to stop. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to take a bit of time. I'm going to take a night. I'm going to take two days. And I'm just going to think, and I'm going to allow that space. In that space, I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to me. Because what I've discovered in those moments, personally what I've discovered, is when we do that, and when I do that, and when I have done that, though actually the Holy Spirit has revealed sin in me. He's actually revealed my motives were all wrong. And a lot of time, I've come out the back out, and I've actually no need to say anything. Actually, the Holy Spirit had more to say to me than I had to say to this other person. 
allow the Holy Spirit space to minister to us. In those moments, he can even reveal our own sin. Search deep in your hearts. I would encourage you to search deep. We have to search deep into our hearts to think, what is my real deep-rooted motive and desire in this? What is my desired outcome in this? What am I really wanting to do when I say my next sentence? What am I hoping that that will achieve? And what realistically will that achieve in my mind? We have to discover what our deep desire is. Sometimes, um, sometimes what we'll do is we'll talk and we'll say things, and it's only really to try and make that other person hurt more than we're hurting, or to share some of the hurt that we're, we're, we're experiencing. And the glory of God is nowhere to be seen on our motivation radar. We're not even thinking about God. As believers, it should not be so, right? Can you see how this peacemaking isn't just as the world gives? Right? More is at stake with this. And so we need to be peacemakers. How you use your words, how we use our words, will show whose child we are. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Could we say then the inference of that, the opposite of that, that those who are not peacemakers are not sons of God, are not to be called the sons of God. So we need to feel the weight of this. And this isn't just for those big conflict moments. You know, we can think about these big conflict things with family. We can all, every family's got conflict. I've just discovered every single one of them. So um, if you're sitting there thinking that everybody else's family, you've, you're the only family that's got conflict, nobody else has, then I can just assure you you're wrong. Um, because I've discovered that every family's got issues and problems and conflict. But this isn't just for even those big conflict issues. This transcends into um, straight after the service is over and we're having tea and coffee in our conversations. Do you know when you, you get alongside each other? And, and uh, what, what are you going to do when someone that maybe you're friends with or whatever, and they get alongside you and they talk about some issue they have with someone, some conflict they have with someone else? What are you going to do in that moment? Are you just going to sort of, oh, yeah, it's awful, yeah. That, they shouldn't have done that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I've seen them doing this before. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Or are we going to bite our lips? And are we going to think, am I going to be a peacemaker in this? And are we going to, are we going to say, well, do you think maybe you're wrong? Have you thought about maybe, maybe, maybe what you said is wrong? Or have you thought about maybe, maybe that person didn't actually mean that? You know, have you thought about... Like, is this, do you think that's normal for that person? Like, is that, like, it seems very out of character for that person. Like, so maybe take, take everything you know about that person and add it into this conversation. And does this seem like you're maybe interpreting what they said right? Could it be that you're wrong? Maybe you should go and have a chat with them. Go and have a talk with them. See, that's when we are peacemakers. So it's not the big conflicts. It's even when we're just with those um, friends and those friendship groups in normal everyday conversation. Young people, this is tough for you. It's tough for you because your peers mean everything to you. And you want to surround yourself with a group of people that um, are the same age as you and you want to be liked, you want to be, you don't want to stand out, you want to be sort of fit in. And whenever people are sort of 
this other conflict arises, oh, it's so tricky, isn't it? But are you willing to stand up? Are you willing to speak the truth? Are you willing to be a peacemaker in that rather than just someone who blends in? Final thing, right? So the peacemaker is not passive. The peacemaker is not self-absorbed. And the peacemakers will have fat lips. Here's the final one. The peacemaker must not compromise the truth of Scripture. Must never compromise the truth of Scripture. I had this written when I was writing this. I had it down initially. Um, The peacemaker must not compromise his beliefs. But then I was like, that's not right because our beliefs can be all wrong. And we can make up beliefs to suit the conflict, to suit our side of the conflict. And so we changed it so we must not compromise the truth of Scripture in order just to accommodate everyone or not cause division. I think this is a massive one for the church today. I think it's a massive one. I think we see compromises in the church today, all over the church today, and it's all in this, um, in this attempt to try and Um, be everyone's friend, be accommodating to everyone. It's a huge thing, especially around this whole gender and sexuality discussion that's happening. I think this is a really difficult and a really tricky um, place for the church at the minute. And we see where the church is sadly setting aside the truths of Scripture that, they, that their church has been built on for decades. They're setting those aside. And, and in, this, in this attempt to be a peacemaker, in this attempt to be at peace with everyone, in this attempt to be a welcoming church for all. Let me just read you an excerpt just to give you an example of where this is happening. This is, um, this is a document... Uh, written by the Church of England. It's called Living in Love and Faith. And it's a document in around this, the gender and sexuality discussion. It says, it's a response from the bishops of the Church of England about identity, sexuality, relationships, and marriage. It says, we are united in our desire for a church where everyone is welcome, accepted, and affirmed in Christ. With joy, we cherish and value the LGBTQI plus members of our churches and celebrate the gifts that each brings as a fellow Christian. We are united in our condemnation of homophobia. We commit ourselves and urge the church in our care to welcome same-sex couples unreservedly and joyfully. We continue to seek to be a church that embodies the radical new Christian inclusion to which the Living in Love and Faith project was carried, was called by the archbishops in 2017, an inclusion that is founded in Scripture, in reason, in tradition, in theology, and the Christian faith as the Church of England has received it, based on good, healthy, flourishing relationships and in a proper 21st century understanding of being human and of being sexual. And then they move on um, to try and introduce new prayers and prayer liturgy. We value and want to celebrate faithfulness in relationships. That is why we have drafted and asked the House of Bishops to further refine and commend a new resource to be used in churches called 
prayer of love and faith. This resource will offer a clergy a variety of flexible ways to affirm and celebrate same-sex couples in church and will include prayer of dedication, thanksgiving, and for God's blessing. It could be used for a couple who have marked a significant stage in the development of their relationship, sealed a covenant friendship, registered a civil partnership, or entered a civil marriage. Isn't it hard to enter into that discussion? Because what, what we can do is that we, we can come across then as someone who actually isn't welcoming to all. We as a church are welcoming to all. Everyone is welcome in through the doors of this church. Absolutely. We will love them. We will disciple them like anybody else. We will teach them. But what we won't do, what we won't do is um, say that those who are um, practicing LGBTI+, they're living a life of that, we will not say that you are a believer, a follower of Jesus, because they can't be. You can't be a believer and be a practicing homosexual. Now, what you can be is have struggled with same-sex tendencies, and we're not going to get into that discussion today, but of course, there's many believers out there who are struggling with same-sex tendencies, absolutely, but they choose not to act on that. And so that's why I use practicing acting out unrepentant. And so we have to choose. We have to choose to teach Scripture. We have to choose to, if we say, do you know what, let's just welcome everyone and let's just ignore any of those things. And let's just say, we're all okay. We're all at peace. Let's live peace. Let's not get caught up in that. No. Now, what the church has wrongly done in the past is it's elevated all these things. It's elevated one sin to make it worse than everything else. I mean, that's wrong as well. So we're not trying to put sins in different levels here. But we have to speak into this. And so we have to be careful we don't set aside the truths of Scripture and think that in doing that, then we are being peacemakers and promoting peace. We are a church who love everyone. We love everyone. Everyone is uh, created in the image of God. And we want to disciple everyone and teach everyone. And it's important we value everyone. All of those things, absolutely. But what we don't want to do here is celebrate something that God calls sin. Then that is setting the truths of Scripture aside. And can you see how this is, this is a challenge for us? It's a challenge for us. Even as I'm standing here saying this, you feel the weight of not coming across as if you're like someone who hates certain people or, or something. You're, you're trying to not do that, but you also feel the tension of, I have to speak truth. And we'll face that, not just as a church, but also as individuals in our workplace and, our, and wherever we are during the day. We need to pray that God gives us wisdom to love in that, to love unreservedly, and to speak the truth in love. What do we want? Do we want God's glory in those situations? Yes. Then pray that God gives us wisdom to speak the truth in love. Remember, 
Peace isn't always possible. So I'm so thankful that Paul gives us that verse in Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Sometimes peace will not be the outcome. Peace just will not be the outcome. But what we need to make sure as believers is if there's no peace, make sure it's not because of us. Make sure we're not the problem. And so blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And so believer, as we finish this morning, are we being peacemakers? Are we actively pursuing peace? In this world, there will be conflict, always. But it's up to the church to pursue Christ in that, to pursue Christ whilst the world pursues itself. If you're not a Christian, well, your first protocol is peace with God. You can't be a peacemaker amongst man. You can't be a peacemaker unless you first have got reconciled with God, unless you first got this hostility between you and God dealt with. And so we need peace with God. And so ask God, repent of your sin, turn to him. He's ready and willing to forgive you. Jesus died so this hostility could be dealt with. Jesus died to break down the walls of hostility. And so ask him to come and forgive you. Repent of your sin, and he will forgive, and he will heal the hostility that's between you and God and bring peace for all eternity. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let me pray. God, as we... sit here this morning. We know and feel the hurt that hostility and conflict can cause. We know it can run deep into our very souls. And so we need you, Holy Spirit, to help us. We need you to give us the power and the strength to be peacemakers in those situations. We need you to realign our motives and our aims and our goals in those situations from self to God, from self-glorifying to God-glorifying. And so, God, will you help us to be those who pursue peace at all costs, God, will you give us wisdom in our pursuit of peace? And will you help us to be those people who are known as sons, as children of God because of how we deal with those times of conflict? Give us wisdom. Give us help, God. I pray this in your name. Amen.